<laughs> I like Monopoly. Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook Community Church. My name is Richard Willard. I'm the associate pastor here at Springbrook, and we're glad you're with us. Uh, you should have received a program on the way into the service, and I want to invite you to uh, take that out with me now. Uh, there's a welcome slip that's attached to the right side of that, and you can go ahead and tear that off, and uh, you can be completing that. We'll be collecting those as well as sharing some uh, exciting uh, news and events with you towards the end of the message. Um, but um, we just want to thank you for being here this morning. Um, I'm filling in for Pastor Dan. Uh, Pastor Dan lost his uh, father-in-law uh, this past Wednesday, and so he is with his uh, family um, today. Uh, so Lori's dad, uh, Everett Hawbaker, has gone to be with the Lord. And so you can be uh, praying for them as they uh, get some rest and just minister to one another and for their family. And then also you can be praying for uh, Laura Mills, who lost her mom, and then Mike Montez, who lost his mom. And so um, just be praying for those families uh, uh, this week. And in fact, why don't we just open our time up uh, together this morning with uh, prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for the, uh, this day you've given us today. I thank you for the opportunity we have to be here. And uh, I just want to lift up uh, Pastor Dan uh, and his family this weekend and these other families. So thank you for, uh, for Dan and for his friendship and just for his leadership uh, here at Springbrook. And just pray that this weekend he would be able to, uh, along with his family, just find some rest. And I just pray that you be with Lori and uh, you know, especially with her mom, Carolyn, as they uh, uh, just mourn the loss of, um, you know, of, a, of a father and uh, a husband and a friend. And uh, just be with their family this weekend. And this is just a reminder, uh, God, that uh, we are temporary on this world. And I just pray that you would continue to uh, increase our faith, draw us closer to you, and we commit our time together uh, this morning for uh, your glory. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, I absolutely love the game Monopoly. I grew up uh, playing that uh, with my sister, Gail. Uh, we used to play that. That was one of my favorite games. And uh, my sister and I uh, played that a lot. And um, the game always ended too quickly uh, when I was growing up. And so uh, when I play Monopoly, the object is you go around and go. You get uh, $200. And so every time you go around the board rolling the dice, every time you pass go, you get 200 bucks as a salary. And so, uh, you know, not a lot of money, but... Uh, it works for the game. And then uh, you buy stuff and you make money. And so every time you roll the dice, you're either buying or uh, you're either getting money or spending money. And so as you go along the game, uh, the first one to run out of money loses. The game's over. Well, it ended way too quick for me. And I was the banker. And so uh, I learned really quick that, hey, I'll just borrow some more money from the bank. And uh, we'll just keep this game going. And I, I kept an IOU. And so my sister and I, when we played Monopoly, we'd play for days. Sometimes it'd just stay up in the, we'd play this thing until we got tired of playing. And then the one that was the, uh, had the most money or was the least amount in debt won the game. And so that's kind of how I grew up playing the game. So my wife and I got married in our first year and uh, we're going to play a board game together, you know, date night. So we get the Monopoly game out and uh, Carolyn beats me like, you know, pretty quick. The game's over and uh, I spend my money. And so I get up and I walk into the kitchen and I walk back with my uh, notepad and and uh, my piece of my pen, and she goes, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm getting ready to borrow some money from the bank. You know, I'm going to write an IOU so we keep playing. She goes, no, no, no. You lost. I won. I was like, well, no, this game's not over. We're going to keep playing. And she said, no, you lost. I said, no, I can borrow money from the bank. And she said, you can't borrow money from the bank. What are you doing? And so I got the directions out, and I was like, oh, well, this is not how I play it. She says, well, that's how I play it. And so first year of marriage, we have this huge argument. We played that game one time. We have never played that game again, ever. In fact, we were joking about you know, teaching today and looking at monopolizes, and this came up. She goes, I will never play that game again. I don't like the way you play. And so, you know, that should have been a clue right there. 
that I was I was headed for disaster when I thought about managing my money and as it relates to my marriage. So, uh, you know, so, you know, it's, it's a great game, but, you know, just some real life principles to uh, to be gleaned from that, isn't there? I mean, when we spend more money than we're making, we're in trouble. We lose. And we're in trouble. And you know what? It causes real arguments in marriage. I mean, there's a there's almost too much truth to that game. It's really uh, kind of scary. And so, uh, you know, that, there's a real life lesson there. And, 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 and the, the, the important part of that is, is how we manage our money. How do you manage your properties, you know, your relationships? And so we're talking about um, how we manage things. You know, Pastor Dan uh, started our series. This is the last sermon uh, as a part of our Monopolized series. Um, last week, he looked at what happens when we get into debt. He talked about the problems with that, how we get out of debt. Today, we're going to look at how we manage our stuff. We're going to look at manage our money and our resources and our time. And uh, uh, the key word there is manage because uh, we're nothing more than managers. Um, you know, but uh, the problem is, is that we don't understand that stuff's not ours. We grow up in a culture where we think everything is ours. If you ask a child, you know, who's that? Well, that's my parents. Well, what's that? Well, that's my toy. These are my clothes. And so we kind of grow up with this word my and then as kids get older, they can hardly wait till they can say those magic words. This is my car. They're not too excited about saying this is my job. But, you know, we have my stuff. We have my car. And, you know, my, 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 my. There's a cartoon. I forgot the name of it. It's uh, uh, the one with a little fish. Um, and the little pelicans are up there. They go, mine, 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 mine. It is the funniest clip. But that's exactly what, how we grow up, thinking everything's ours. The word my, uh, I did a Google search on that last night. It appears 25 billion times on my internet search. I thought, that's a big number. So I looked up the article, the, 26 billion. The word a, 26 billion. The word my is almost like an article. It appears almost more than any other word in the English language. It's built into our DNA. We think stuff is ours. We think stuff's mine. But that's not the case. Do you know what you own? What you own? You own nothing. We own absolutely nothing. The chairs you're sitting in, the clothes, that car in the parking lot, that house you have, it's not yours. In Psalm 24, uh, verses 1 and 2, David's writing it. He says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live it belong to me. He founded it. He founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the waters. Everything is the Lord's. You know, and uh, this passage is on the insert in your bulletin. If you would uh, take that out. Just you can circle or underline the word everything and all. Because I want to ask you, if you were going to explain to the person sitting next to you on your left or your right, how do you explain everything? What is everything? You know, what is everything? Is it, is it limited to what? Well, okay, well, the Lord can have the, the house, but the car's mine. Or, uh, you know, especially with your kids. Think about if you've got children. You know, those yours? You know, think about what, you know, Everything is the Lord's. And it, it looks simple. You know, when you look at that, you think, okay, well, you know, that's, uh, you know I, can, I can work with that. But I tell you, putting that into practice, it's hard. It's hard. I can give you everything's mine, you know, yeah, but especially when we start talking about things like our money. Money was one of those things that, man, I tell you, you had to pry that out. Uh, when I first got a job, I was making good money. My wife and I got married. And uh, we started attending a church down there. I, you know, she picked the church out. I wasn't really too into it. But uh, this is the, my giving statement um, from the first church that my wife and I started attending. Back in 1997, uh, we got married in the end of uh, 1995. So this is probably about a year and a half into our marriage. 
And uh, we're going to church. I'm thinking, yeah, whatever. And so uh, between January and March, that first quarter, my contributions uh, to Central Baptist Church down there in the left there, $15. That's what you can have, man. Because you know what? Uh, as excited as I was about getting a job, I really didn't realize. I mean, I knew about the government taxes. I did not really realize they really do take that money out. And so my first paycheck, I'm thinking, eh, woo-hoo, 25%'s gone to Texas or 30, 33%. I don't even know what the number was. It was a big number. I thought, man, I've just got married. I'm trying to buy a house and a car. The government's whacking stuff away. I thought, that's about all I'm going to be able to let go of. And so I gave them $15 the first quarter. The second quarter, I think I got a raise. And so I'm up to 20 bucks. I gave them 20 bucks in uh, the second quarter. And so I'm up to $35 for the year. And then I must have bought something, started spending money, because then I'm back down to 15 And I thought, hey, that's just a good number. I'll throw something in there every once in a while. So they leave me alone. So there it is, $65 in 1987 is, is kind of what I thought I was uh, going to share. That is really, uh, it's pretty sad now. If you think about it. I tithe now, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> it's been fun to be able to move past that tithe thing and be generous. And, uh, but this is one of those areas that uh, was really difficult for me to let go of. I had a hard time letting go of my money. And you know what changed my life was I was attending a church when we moved up to Illinois and uh, listened to a sermon on how to have a relationship with Christ. And I realized I wasn't a believer. See, I thought going to church was what made me good. I thought throwing some, a couple bucks in the plate was, hey, this should get me off, right? It's like, okay, well, you know. You know I, and then I started attending this church, so we started actually looking at the Bible and reading it, and I came to the realization I never really made a faith commitment. I wasn't really a Christian. So I thought throwing some bucks in the plate and going to church was what it was all about. And I, I came to understand my need for a relationship with Christ, and it changed my life. And when I got to the point, it's like, wow, when I trusted God in that way with my life, it became so much easier to trust him with everything else. And finances was one of the first areas I was really able to trust him with. And so I went to church the next day and they were talking about tithing. And I thought, you know what, I really need to tithe. And so I, I, got to, I talked to my wife. I got the checkbook. I was like, we need to start tithing. And so I'm all excited. To, I started writing checks everywhere. Whoa. And so she's like, well, hang on a second here. Let's talk. <laughs> I mean, she was encouraging me. But, hey, we just, you know, when you start letting go of that, it, it, you got to make some adjustments. So for me, that was an area that was really easy for me just to trust God in that way. I started tithing right off the bat. Some people, you know, worked their way up to it. But for me, I think it was just an opportunity for me to say, hey, I trust you with my life. And if I trust you with my life, then I can trust you with everything, including my finances. And it was really kind of a revolutionary, life-transforming uh, moment for me. And I think, you know, it's really important. If we're going to understand the importance of being good managers, if we're going to uh, be good stewards, and if everything belongs to God, it's really important for us to be able to trust him with our, with our lives and with ourself and to understand that he really is the owner of everything. And so on the inside of your outline on the top there, the first principle that we really need to grasp is that God owns everything. It can't just be a verse that we've memorized or a concept that we agree with. It's got to be reflected in our lives. It is so important that we get to that point that we understand that God really does own everything. And it takes some work. You know, that was one of the ways that my wife knew that my relationship was, was genuine. It was one of those areas I was really able to grow in. Uh, but uh, it's really an important principle that we apply to our lives. Jesus is talking uh, to his disciples about this, uh, this same kind of a principle. Uh, he's talking to them about stewardship, how we manage things. And he actually relates it um, to what is going to happen when he comes back. Uh, when he comes back and there's going to be this judgment. And the judgment is going to be based on uh, 
uh, our relationship with him, the investment in the world versus the, the heavenly things. And he kind of uses this issue of stewardship to illustrate a point that what's going to happen in the judgment when he returns. And then uh, Matthew 25, if you brought your Bibles with you, uh, turn with me to Matthew 25, uh, beginning in verse 14, as he starts to tell them this uh, parable of the talents and a parable is nothing more than a story that's being told to illustrate a point. And so the idea is to really look for the point of the, the story here. And he says, uh, beginning in verse 14, he says, look, when I return, it's going to be like a man that was going on a journey who called his servants and entered uh, and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to the other two talents, to the other one one talent, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents uh, went at once to put his money to work and gained five more. The same with the one that had two talents. He put his money to work and gained two more. But the one who had only received one talent went off. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. A long time after the master of those servants returned, he settled up their accounts. The man who had received five talents brought the other five and said, Hey, look, master, um, you entrusted me with five talents and I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many more things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The same thing happened with the one with two talents. You came to his master. He said, look, you entrusted me with two and I brought you two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And this verse is on the, uh, underneath your outline under that first principle. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful. You've trusted me. You understand that this was mine. And you've been faithful with what I've entrusted to your care. Well done. As a result, I'm going to put you in charge of many more things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then he gets to the third man. And uh, the third man comes up, the guy that receives one talent. He says, Master, I knew that you were a hard man. You harvest where you have not sown and you gather where you have not scattered. So I was afraid. I really didn't trust you. I wasn't sure what to do with this. And in my fear, I went and I hid your talent in the ground. And here's what, here's what belongs to you. Here's your, here's your one talent back. There was fear. There was a lack of trust. There was an understanding that we're, he was not a steward. He was not taking care of his master's property. He said, you wicked, lazy servant. You know that I harvest where I have not sown and you gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, you should have put my money at least on deposit with the bankers so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one who has ten. For everyone who has been given more, he will be he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, the point that Jesus is trying to make with this parable here is that we're to be good, faithful servants with the things that God has entrusted to our care. And that is really a reflection of our trust and our relationship with God. And when we don't trust God, when we don't trust him with our lives, when we don't trust him with our son, with ourselves and with our kids and our stuff, it's, it's reflective of we don't trust our lives with him. It really calls into question our understanding of our ability to trust him with our relationship with Christ. And, and Christ kind of connects these two things and says, look, everything that I have is mine. And uh, you're nothing but a steward. You're responsible for being a good steward. And if you're not, it's reflective of the relationship that we have with you. And so the point that Jesus is making here is, look, you've got to be a good steward with the things that God owns, that that you've been entrusted with. Your time, your talents, your resources, everything 
belongs to me. And that needs to be your perspective. And you need to manage it well because I own it. You know, so many times I talk to people about this issue of stewardship. I was having a conversation with somebody just a couple of weeks ago, and it was about you know some decision you know, it involved themselves. I was like, well, God doesn't own me. I was like, well, yeah, he does. It's the earth and everyone and everything in it. He owns you. In fact, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, it says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Don't you know that? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so the decisions that you make, even about yourself, tie back to the fact that that body is not yours. You know, God has created you with a plan and a purpose. You've been bought at a price, and therefore, you need to honor God with your body. Everything belongs to the Lord. And that is such a difficult concept for us to get across in our culture. We're so consumer-driven. We're so focused on mine that it is something that we really have to work hard about. It's the first principle that we have to understand. If we're going to be good managers of our stuff, if we're going to be good stewards, if we're going to manage our money well, we have to understand that everything we have uh, belongs to God. It's His, and we're doing nothing more than managing it. The second principle that we need to understand is that um, God has some priorities, and so we need to focus on what's important to Him. You know, the second principle is focus on what's important to God. And so if this is his and we're to manage it well, a part of that is, okay, how are you going to use it? What's important to God? You know, what's important to God? How should I use my time, my talent, my resources, my relationships? You know, Jesus is talking about this uh, with his disciples and, uh, in uh, chapter uh, 13, uh, beginning of verse uh, 44. This is on the bottom of your outline as well. I think what we have here is probably the single most, uh, this verse I think probably encapsulizes best what it means to really trust God and have a relationship with him. When he says in uh, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And in his joy, he went and sold all that he had. And he bought the field so that he could have that treasure. I want you to picture for a moment this average guy, you know, walking through a field. You see, in Jesus's time, it's not like you went out and jumped in your car and hit Algonquin, drove down to Randall and went to the grocery store. In Jesus' time, you kind of had to, you know, make your way to your, you know, through the fields, through people's property. You know, uh, Jeff Osborne's got a house now. It's right behind uh, the church here. And so he cuts across this field, you know, to get to church sometimes. He doesn't do it now because it's in the snow. You know, sometimes I get to walk from work and I cut across the grass. And so back in Jesus' time, we were just, you know, people kind of walking around. And so this guy's walking through a field. Maybe this guy's cane or his staff or he steps on something. And all of a sudden, here's this, that's kind of pounces down a little bit, and he gets down, and he digs it, and he opens it up, and he finds this treasure. Man, this has been here for a while. Man, look at this. This is great. He sells everything he has, his car, his house, his computer. He sells everything he has so he can raise the money to buy this field. Now, this, again, is a parable that Jesus is using to illustrate a point here. And the point of this story is not how to take advantage of an ignorant landowner. (laughs) It's not like, hey, I'm going to try to pull one over on you. The point of the story is not, hey, treasure. And so the point of the story is not about, you know, gold and silver and things of this earth. The point of the parable is that when you think about things of heaven, when you think about heavenly treasure, and you think about the things that we treasure here on earth, there's a comparison between these two things. How much more is treasure in heaven compared to the things that we have on this earth? The point of the story is 
our treasure in heaven is more important than everything that you have here on earth. And so that should be our priority. And so we know from Scripture that one of the priorities of God is that we focus on our heavenly treasure. Now, what is heavenly treasure? Now, what is heavenly treasure? You came into this world with nothing. You go out with nothing. What does it mean to invest in heavenly treasure? Well, it means to invest in those relationships that are most important and dear to you. You know, I think when I listen to uh, Dan and uh, Lori talk about Lori's dad and, and what he meant to them and how important he was and how God used him, he was an integral part of seeing uh, you know, Springbrook started and seeing our WANA program started. He had a heavy influence on Lori's life. When I listen to them talk about those relationships, those relationships are investing in heavenly treasure. Those relationships with the people around you are what you're going to take into heaven with you. And so when you think about a heavenly treasure kind of investment, it's about a relationship. And so how does that relate to our physical and tangible things? That means if I've got a car and I do something and maybe I take my car and I use it, I, you know, take the kids on a youth trip or something. you got to be careful with that one because of the insurance thing. But, you know, how do you use your home to open up for a small group? You know, every person that opens up their home and allows people to come in to do a Bible study is using their house in a heavenly kind of a relationship. You know, how do we use our money? Do we invest in, you know, reaching people for Christ? You know, through our tithes and offerings, we have an opportunity to equip people to share their faith for reaching people for Christ. This church is an opportunity. This is a place for us to come to hear God's word proclaimed or worship God. We want to equip people to send them out into the world and have an impact on the world. So we want to equip the saints for ministry. And so this is an investment in heavenly treasure. And so as we think about the investment of, of earthly things versus heavenly things, what Jesus is saying here, the point is, is that, look, when you contrast these two things, Heavenly treasure is a priority. And so we need to focus on those things uh, that are important. The point is, is that compared to the things of this earth, it's nothing compared to what we have in Christ and what we're looking forward to in heaven. Jesus is pointing out that, that people value all these temporary earthly things, but this guy was able to go back and make it a priority focusing on, on heaven. We should be investing today using our time, our talents, our resources, our relationships to make a difference in areas that bring glory to God. You know, every one of us knows uh, how much gas prices are. We all know how much our house payment is. We all know how much money came in last week. You know, we do a great job managing uh, the money. But how are we doing with earthly things or with heavenly things? We got the earthly stuff down. But how are we doing Heavenly wise, you know, where are you investing in those relationships? And so as you're smart, as you think about focusing on God's priority, it's important for you to think about where do I have an opportunity to invest in those things that are most important? Heavenly treasure is more important. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 19 and 20, this is on the back of your outline. It says, we're not to store up for ourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal. Those things are secure. In other words, God is more concerned about our involvement that is going to impact uh, eternity rather than spending our time, talents, and things uh, on earthly pleasures. So we should be investing in things that have a heavenly impact. And so when you think about your time, how do you use your time? We all have 24 hours in a day. It's not going to change. Everybody's got the same 24 hours. How do you spend your time? A third of it, you have to sleep. Your body needs to rest. So a third of our lives go off to time for sleeping. We've got to do that. Then most of us work eight-hour jobs. That's a third of our day. So two-thirds of our life is gone, and we haven't even really thought about you know, what it is we do with our time. You've got about a third of your life, really, that you get to manage. Do you know what 50% of Americans, or actually, do you know what most Americans, 
uh, the statistic was what most Americans do with 50% of their available one-third, watch TV. And so you got this one-third of your life that you're really managing. Most Americans spend 50% of that watching TV, playing on a computer, gaming, doing something, you know, you know, other than relating with other people around them. And so, you know, where do you spend your time? You know, that's one of the things I love about small groups. It's an opportunity to say, I'm going to take my time and I'm going to invest in these relationships that matter most. Because every one of these relationships I have in my small group, I'm going to take with me to heaven. That's an example of investing in heavenly, heavenly treasure. And so how do we spend our time? Time can be a little bit more difficult. Money is one that we all can relate to pretty easily. You know, as I mentioned, we all know the price of, uh, uh, of gas and those kind of things. But how do we manage our money? You know, what does that look like? You know, the average income for Lake on the Hills, the Better Business Bureau, you know, the, the government knows more about us than I think we really want to know, but you can go on the Internet. <laughs> the average income for people in uh, Lake on the Hills, Algonquin, and uh, Huntley uh, ranges between sixty dollars and $80,000 a year. Now, there's a couple of 90s, and, uh, but on average, and so if you average those three communities, we're about $77,000 is the average household income in this community. That's a big number. And so if this was $77,000, it's about 90 cups there. Each cup's worth about 850 bucks. And so uh, this is the average household income in our community. Do you know what the average household income is for 50% of the world population per year? $850. That is 50% of the world's population's annual household income. Half the world is living on $850 a year. That's, that's amazing. And then look at the contrast there. And if you took 75% of the world population, 75% of the world's population lives on, on average, $1,700 a year. Twice that. 75% of the world's annual income, our annual income in our area. That's amazing, isn't it? Now, how do we spend our money? Well, in our community, in America, on average, uh, most homes, about 24% of their income goes to their house. And that, uh, you know, depending upon region, you know, this area is probably a little bit higher. You buy a lot more house in other places. But, you know, on average for America, 20, 24% goes to our house. We have 20, uh, 22%, which is about uh, 15 cups, goes to uh, recreation. You know, so we eat out a lot in our country. Uh, we go to the movies a lot. And so, you know, I, I'm not really a numbers guy, so I don't know what's all this stuff. Let's just call it recreation. So what is that for you? So they spend uh, 22% on recreation. We spend 19% on health care. And uh, something tells me in the next couple of years we could probably just do this. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, right now, this is uh, 2000, 19% on health care. And then we have, uh, which is 13 cups. Then we have 17 cups. This is what we spend on our cars, leases, uh, car payments, um, automobile repairs, you know, gasoline, all the stuff that you spend on your cars. And then we have uh, 15% goes on food, which is about 11 cups. And so, you know, we've got to eat, got to have a car. And then uh, we spend 2% on pets, cats, dogs, you know, whatever, food, vet bills. And uh, uh, we spend, you know, a lot of money on pets, which is interesting because that's about the same amount of money that 75% of the world lives on. And uh, do you know what uh, in America... Uh, we donate to charity on average uh, the same amount, 2%. And so these are charities. And so charities is kind of an interesting category. Um, I read uh, Mitt Romney released his uh, financial statement uh, last week. He was running for president. And uh, $2.9 million to the Mormon church. Wow. 
And, uh, you know, then you get into the, you know, you know, where does that fit into the church? And uh, you've got Bill Gates, $125 million uh, to the Gates Foundation. And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know if really everybody knows where Bill's money goes. <laughs> but uh, charities, on average, in the U.S. is 2% uh, of our money, which is about $1,700 a year. So on average, Americans, you know, give back to God or, you know, do charity work, uh, you know, with this amount of money. Now, how does that compare to that verse we just looked at? Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, what does that look like? If you were to look at this on a graph, you know, it might look like this. You know, this is home, recreation. These are things that are kind of really in this world. And then let's just say God, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better term here. But how do we spend our money in the U.S.? You know, of, of all the $77,000, you've got two, you've got seventeen, you got $1,700 that gets set aside for God's work. Now, I use some of my house, you know, for small group and food. You know, we've got to have food. You know, get me wrong. I mean, these things, I'm not saying these things are not important. But I'm saying that in this country, you know why bankruptcies are so high? We're buying more house than we can afford. I mean, we've got to figure out somehow, is there some way when we buy a housing, is there some way that we could say, hey, instead of buying this house, you know, maybe I can buy a smaller house Reduce my house payment, and that frees me up to do more for God. Or, you know, in my house, uh, Carol and I, uh, you know, we work on a budget, and we've got this you know, fun thing we do. We, it sounds it's fun to me. I don't know. Um, we try to figure out, hey, we ate dinner tonight for a dollar a piece. And so we always try to break a dollar. And so, you know, when there's all six of us there, uh, we can all eat for 99 cents. You know, we've got these uh, little uh, tilapia things we pick up. Great fish at uh, Costco. We grill those things up. Those are a buck. Uh, they're about buck nine a piece. You get some uh, jasmine rice. You know, you make a bunch of rice. I love rice. And uh, you get rice, you get some vegetables. Broccoli's expensive. And so we sit down, and we can usually eat dinner for under, you know, buck fifty. And so we have fun playing with our food. And so, you know, can we think about how do we eat and free some money up there? Or, you know, my car. Do I buy a new car or do I invest in maintenance? If you don't buy a new car, then you got maintenance. But, you know, maybe I don't buy off a new car right now, or maybe I... You know, maybe I walk to work some across the street or maybe I ride share and get my gas cut, bill cut down. And, and so, uh, you know, maybe we can do something with that. And, you know, health care, you know, we're not going to touch that one. That one's, that one's probably going to have to stay. But, uh, you know, can we do some things to free up our resources so that we can allow God to do some more things? I mean, can we, can we release some of our finances to, to enable us to be more effective at reaching our communities for Christ and for equipping the saints for ministry and for, you know, can we do that? And that's what financial peace is all about. Financial peace class is starting up soon. There's an insert on the inside of your bulletin. And in the financial peace class, it's not just about being in debt and getting out of debt, but it's about how do we manage our money? Do we do a budget? You know, if you want to be more effective at this, I want to encourage you to sign up for that class. Right now we had, uh, we had 30 people sign up for financial peace last week, and that is going to be a great class. Mark does a great job with that, and we get to sit around and talk about this kind of stuff. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to be better at managing your stuff, um, you know, sign up for financial peace. If you got questions about that, let me know. But it really is kind of a stark contrast when you look at the world and us and where we have an opportunity really to have an impact for Christ. You know, can, can we do that? And when we focus on God's priorities, when we understand that God owns it all and we need to focus on what's important to him, then this really all starts to make much more sense. In fact, it really doesn't make sense until you come to the point that you understand your need for a relationship with Christ. And then this gets really easy. It gets really easy when you understand that God owns everything 
and you want to focus on his priorities, it really does make a difference. And uh, when you can get to that point, it's almost a relief because it just kind of takes the pressure off of you having to do everything yourself. Uh, Mon Villa is going to come out now and he's going to share his, uh, his story with you. Uh, Mon and his wife, Kathy, have been at Springbrook for uh, since about 2003. So we'll let uh, Mon tell you a little bit about that. But uh, it's been exciting uh, for me just to hear uh, different stories about where God has been faithful and providing for people. And so uh, Mon's going to share with you a little bit of, uh, about what his and Kathy's story look like. So Mon, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, Springbrook, how long you've been at Springbrook, how you heard about us, and you know, just tell us how long you've been here. Well, originally we, uh, we are from the Philippines. You know, I met my wife, Kathy. We were just, you know, boyfriend and girlfriend at that time. She came in here in 2000. I followed her in 2002. We got married in 2003. And then I told her that, you know, we need to be involved in a church. So we, you know, did a little research, asked some friends. And then we came in here also in 2003. And then sometime in 2006, you know, our uh, attendance, you know, became inconsistent, irregular. There were months that, you know, we're not going to attend. And then sometime in 2008, you know, we came back. He said that, you know, we have to be, you know, more involved, you know, with church life, you know, to mm. know God. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of things that compete for our time. It's really easy for us to be distracted. You know, sometimes you, know, you see somebody and it's like, well, where's mine been for a while? You know, so we always miss people when they're gone. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of compete for our time. What were some of the things that were kind of a distraction for you? How, what were some of the things that caused you to kind of drift um, from being involved? Well, what happened was back in 2006, you know, we were so distracted, you know, with, the things, you know, the world offers. So in 2000, actually, I, I graduated 2005, December, you know, from nursing school. I got my, you know, nursing license in 2006, you know, work right away. And then my wife, Kathy, uh, opened up, you know, a home health care, you know, agency, you know, that sends, you know, nurses, you know, to uh, elderly patients at home. And then we bought a house, you know, in 2006, you know, to complicate, you know, things. So right. we were so busy, you know, we were so busy, you know, directing our lives instead of, you know, trusting God with our lives. Yeah, between our jobs and our homes. And, boy, there's a lot of things that, that really do compete for our time. It really is to, you know, like you said, get distracted. You know, as you think about your own faith walk and just kind of your own experience, what are some of the things that drew you back? I mean, how did you end up having to come back and get more fully engaged? You know, what did that look like? What happened was, okay, we were, you know, discussing, you know, what, you know, what transpired in our life. God you know, bless me with, you know, with a job. We bought a new house. And then with the, with the home health care agency, you know, we got our uh, license to operate back in 2007. Hmm. I said, you know, we, we need to go back. You know, we need to be more involved with God. So back in 2008, you know, we just joined again. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. A lot of people, uh, when things, when there's a, you know, some kind of a disaster, you know, uh, people might come back to church just because they think through struggles. sounds like in your experience you really recognize, hey, God's really blessing us in here and kind of recognize the importance of, you know, coming back and getting involved in church. And I know that there was a giving component of this. And so, you know, as you think about the, uh, the impact that that had on you from a giving perspective, you know, how did that affect um, your giving? Well, we came back in the latter part of 2008. In 2009, Pastor Dan was doing the financial series. He was emphasizing, you know, the Malachi 3.10. Pastor then said, uh, bring the whole fight into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. 
and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be enough room to store it. At that moment, you know, I thought that, you know, God was talking to me. Mm. And also, after the church service, Kathy felt the same. But what really, you know, struck me and Kathy was when he challenged the congregation. He said, okay, start first with 5%, increase it to next month to 7.5%, increase it to, you know, 10%, and so on. But if you experience hardship on your first three months, come to me and I will return your money back, no questions asked. You know, it just melted our hearts. Mm. So, you know, we, you know, we started with five, 7.5 up to 10%. You know, we gave, you know, we've been, you know, faith, you know faithful, you know, uh, fighters. And then 2009, the latter part of 2009, you know, we, we had some earnings, you know, from the, uh, from the home, home health care agency. So we were kind of, you know, discussing how are we going to give to the Lord? Are we going to base it on the net or on the gross? So I said, you know, Kathy, uh, God gave us this. Yeah. We've been blessed. We're going to base it on the cross. So, you know, our first check, you know, we, we gave it to the Lord. We honored God that, you know, He's our Lord and our Savior. Yeah. You know, I think people approach that. I think, uh, you know, I jumped right in with 10. I think some people kind of move in. They're more of a gradual thing. And I think there's also, uh, you know, uh, the opportunity of how, how God blesses you. You know, sometimes it's financially. Sometimes it's through relationships. I know sometimes... People think, well, I gave a dollar. Where's my two dollars? So uh, God doesn't work that way. But there are sometimes when, when God just does honor our, our, our uh, sacrificial giving, and we are blessed financially. Sometimes it's through relationships. Um, I know that you've got uh, men from your small group that are here, and I know God's really uh, blessed them, and you've been blessed by that. So sometimes blessing comes relationally. Uh, sometimes it comes through uh, finances. And then sometimes just being a part of what God's doing and being able to see uh, where when you use your time, talents, and resources, you experience blessing from that. So I know when Pastor Dan was kind of talking with you a little bit about sharing your story a little bit, I know that you were reluctant, um, you know, to kind of share your story. What, what, were you, what, what made you reluctant? Actually, I was really reluctant. <laughs> you know, it, it happened this way. A 2011 summer, I remember Pastor Dan was on vacation. He was, you know, taking care of his dad. Then we bumped into each other, you know, at uh, Best Buy here in Algonquin. You know, we, we exchanged some stories, and our conversation led to uh, tithing. You know, he asked me, you know, I want to invite you and your wife, Kathy, you know, to give your testimony. And I told Pastor Dan, Pastor Dan, I have stage fright. <laughs> and, uh, well, and I just said, you know, let's see. But at the back of my head, my real answer to Pastor Dan was, I don't think so. I don't want to go in front of the stage and, you know, to uh, talk, you know, in front of the congregation. So after that, sometime November, while I was uh, going to work, I was listening to Caleb. There was this thought that God was, like, talking to me. He told me that uh, you have to go up there and tell everyone of my power. So the thought was in and out, in and out. Mm. So come December, you know, I prayed to God. I said, if you really want me, you know, to go up there to testify about your greatness, let me know. Mm. So two weeks ago, Pastor Dan, you know, approached <laughs> us, okay? So I want to invite you 
And Kathy, you know, to give your testimony. My wife Kathy looked at me because she knows the answer is no. But I told Pastor Dan, we will comply, Pastor Dan. <laughs> then after that, did you really say yes? I said, you know, if, Pastor, uh, if God really wants us to do it, we shall do it. And that is why I'm in front of you guys. <laughs> well, it's been a blessing for me, you know, just to kind of interact with you on this. And I know that, um, you know, through your faithfulness, whether it's attendance or for your, your faithfulness uh, uh, in tithing, um, tell us a little bit about how God has blessed you as a result of that. Well, to, to close our story, you know, God wants me and Kathy know, to tell everyone of his greatness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his love, if only you will trust your lives with God. Right now, the office that, you know, Kathy started, you know, she started with a 10 by 12 office. Now it has quadrupled. And she was the, you know, at first the boss. She was the secretary, the floor sweeper. She was, you know, do it all. And now she has four full-time employees and a part-time employee aside from the visiting nurses. And from the patients, before it was just trickles, and now it has tremendously increased. And right now we also have uh, increased our giving. And I just would like you know, to share to you guys, you know, Matthew uh, 25, 29, chapter 25, verse 29. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, and what little they have will be taken away. God bless you all. Mm, outstanding. Good job, man. Mm. <laughs> well, Mon, I want to thank you for uh, sharing that. Um, it was a blessing. And I think uh, whether it's a blessing in uh, financial or business or relational, you know, the point is that when we, when we, put our, when we get our priorities right, um, we experience God's best for that. You know, that's what he, he, uh, that parable Jesus said. We share in God's joy. We share in the happiness together. And uh, if we're going to be good stewards, you know, we have to understand that everything belongs to God. We have to focus on his priorities. And it's uh, you know, when we're able to get to that point, then I think we're really able to uh, experience the joy uh, that is ours in Christ uh, in this present day. You know, we're not just sitting around waiting for heaven. Uh, John 10 says that uh, 10 says we that Jesus Christ came so we could have life and have it to the full right now. And so I think a part of that fullness of life is just understanding that everything is God's. Uh, he owns it all, and uh, we need to focus on his priorities. And so if you want to be a good manager, do those things. There's a third principle I want to share with you. If you want to um, just really be a good manager of everything that God's entrusted to your care, it really begins with understanding you know, where you're headed and uh, kind of living with the end in mind, kind of a results orientation. So everything's God's. We need to focus on his priorities. And then we've got some expectations in terms of living with the end uh, in mind. All throughout the Bible, um, we're talking about the, the difference between this world and the next. You know, Scripture is just uh, filled with the difference between these two worlds. Jesus was constantly teaching about the difference between this world and the next and the importance of focusing on our heavenly treasure. And it's so easy to forget that this world is temporary. You know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I could hardly wait. I was so excited. I could hardly wait to get a bike. I could hardly wait to get a motorcycle. I could hardly wait to get a car. I could hardly wait to get done with school. I really wanted to get done with college. I could hardly wait to get married. I could hardly wait to get a house. I could hardly wait to get a kid. I was always waiting for the next thing. And you, we get so stuck and so focused on this life and what's next that we really forget ultimately what we're waiting for is heaven. 
And so we need to constantly be reminded that we need to focus on the living uh, with keeping the end in mind. That needs to be our focus. Because, uh, you know, we're here temporarily. How many of you are going to uh, live forever? Raise your hand if you're going to uh, live forever. Actually, go ahead and raise your hand. Because you are going to live forever. You're going to live forever somewhere. If you want to know more about that, you can read through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, But in uh, verses 51 through 52, uh, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He says this, I tell you a mystery. We're not all going to sleep, but we will all be changed. In the flash and the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Jesus is going to come back, and when he does, we're all going to be raised from the dead, and we're going to have new bodies, and we're going to spend eternity with our new bodies in one of two places. We're either going to be separated from him, or we're going to be in his presence for all eternity. We need to live this life with that end in mind. And it begins with understanding who we are in Christ. When you have a relationship with Christ, you're able to trust him not only with your own life, but with all your stuff. We're going to spend eternity in one of two places. And if you want to know more about that, I want to encourage you to to let me know so that we can talk more about that. We had a great time. We had our baptism class in between the last service. Um, We had uh, six people, seven people in there. We talked about baptism. We have a baptism service uh, next weekend. We're going to be celebrating those that have publicly confessed their faith in Christ and want to identify with him through that step of baptism. It is going to be a great celebration. And so if you want to know more about that, if you want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ, I want the opportunity to pray with you and talk with you about that because you really can't do the rest of this stuff until it begins with understanding who you are in Christ. That is the the most important decision that you're going to make in this life is where you're going to spend eternity. In 2 Peter in chapter 3, in verse 10, it says this, But the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. The heavens are going to disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it is going to be laid bare. Since everything's going to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? I mean, because that's happening, how should we live our lives out today? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day is going to bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt the heat. But keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, and our home of righteousness. We are to live with the end in mind. Everything that we have is God's. We need to keep focused on those things that are important and are priority to Him, and we need to live with the end in mind. I've got a birthday coming up this year. I've been alive 18,000 days. I've got 11,000 days left. It's the goofiest thing I think I ever started doing, but every day as you track your days, your days are numbered. You know, we're only here temporarily. You know, have you ever, my mileage in my car, uh, uh, have you ever had it turn over like quadruple zeros? There's something about the even numbers about that. You know, well, I'm hitting this milestone of 11,000 days left. I mean, our days here are finite. As a result, we need to be good stewards with how we use our time. We need to be good stewards with how we use our time, talents, our resources, and our relationships. And so this morning, I want to ask you as you kind of reflect back and ponder on some of the things that, uh, that we've talked about some of the things that I've shared with you. Um, there's a little place at the bottom of your insert, but um, uh, I want you to uh, take that welcome slip out that's on the uh, inside of your uh, program. And uh, I want to ask you, as you think through the things that we've looked at, maybe these three principles, 
Um, which one of those principles do you have a sense of God calling you to grow deeper? You know, you don't, you know, God works, God's word is living and active and the Holy Spirit works in and through our lives. And so God might be prompting you this morning um, to maybe go deeper in one of these areas. And um, I'd love the opportunity to pray with you in that. Uh, I'll be more than, I'd love the opportunity to contact you if you've got any questions about those things. But as you think those, through those three principles, uh, there's on the front of your welcome slip, there's numbers across the top. Just circle one, two, or three. Um, if you'd like to know um, more about that, if you'd like to talk with somebody about that, or if you just want uh, somebody to pray for you, um, at the bottom of the slip, just write pray, and uh, we'll just pray for you. We won't contact you. But if you do want somebody uh, to contact you, if you want me to give you a call, um, just you know, write contact me on there or something. Or maybe it's not growing deeper. Maybe this is something you just need to get started in. Maybe it's just understanding, hey, I want to know, I want to be more secure in Christ. I want to understand my relationship with Christ. I want him to be able to one that I make Lord, and I want him to bring about you know, the next, I'm tired of doing things on my own. And I want, I want to turn my life over to Christ, and I want to get right with him. And, and uh, maybe you just need to talk about your security of Christ, or maybe you've made a faith commitment, and you, and you don't really fully understand your identity, and you want to experience more of that. So you can circle the number five. But I want to encourage you not just to be hearers of the word this morning, uh, to look for opportunities to be obedient to what God might be prompting you to. And uh, I'd love the opportunity um, to do that with you. Um, our ushers are going to come forward now, and we're going to collect those uh, welcome slips uh, from you in just a moment. And uh, Krista's going to come out uh, while we're collecting our tithes and offerings, and she's got some uh, exciting things to share with you. Uh, but I'd just like to ask you if we could uh, just maybe pray together this morning as we lift our tithes and offerings up to the Lord and uh, as we continue to pray uh, for him to draw us closer to himself. Uh, Father, I just thank you for um, this day you've given us. Um, Every breath that we take today comes from your hand. Our days are numbered. And, uh, God, we just want to pray that you would continue to draw us each closer to yourself. Uh, God, I just uh, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I thank you for the security that we have, for the promises that you've given us. And, uh, God, we just we throw ourselves there at your feet. And uh, I just pray that you would continue to begin, as you begin this good work, that you would continue it on. And uh, this morning we just lift our tithes and offerings up to you. I pray that you would use them, Lord for your glory, so that we can be effective at reaching this community for Christ and growing people up towards Christ-likeness and spiritual maturity. And thank you for all the ways you provide for us. Pray for Pastor Dan and his family this weekend as they continue to mourn the loss of Everett. And uh, God, just thank you for the opportunity we've had to come together this morning uh, to hear your word, to sing, and to praise you. And it's all for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.